Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be taking a brief look at some of the stuff that happened over the weekend, which unfortunately I actually wasn't able to watch the Jets games because I was away on business, but I did catch a few highlights. Let's talk about the Caps game, because from what I can tell, the Jets actually played pretty well. Uh, Winnipeg, after kind of losing in overtime on what was a fairly crazy game against Washington on the road on last Tuesday, welcomed that very same Caps team back into Winnipeg on the following Thursday. And usually the Jets, on on games where they have like a home-and-home series, I don't know what their record is this season, but it's kind of hard to play the same team twice and really get points out of both games. In fact, getting three out of four is kind of a miracle, especially when you're playing a team like the Caps, who, struggling as they may be right now, are still a very dangerous squad. Surprisingly, though, the Jets actually played a very even back-and-forth game with Washington, where I'm not sure that either team had a particular edge. Uh, Maybe the Caps had one or two extra chances, but overall, I mean, this was a really solid, even performance from the Jets in a very competitive kind of game, and they got a 3-0 shutout. Of all people, Dmitry Kulikov actually scored one of the three goals, which is kind of funny because Kulikov never scores. But I think he had a, a nice shot that either deflected off of an opposing defenseman or just beat uh, beat Samsonov cleanly. It wasn't entirely clear from the video footage if it just barely deflected off of Nick Backstrom or something. But either way, the Jets went up, and of all people, Dmitry Kulikov did it. And I have to say that Kulikov over the past couple of weeks has been a very good defenseman, not just decent, but good. I think when he's not injured and when his back isn't a total mess, he's actually been playing very decent hockey. I'd argue that as far as defensive defensemen go, he's been Winnipeg's best all-around shutdown kind of guy. Considering the state of the Jets' defense as it is right now, I feel like Kulikov's performance couldn't come at a better time just because Winnipeg basically doesn't have any out-and-out defenders other than, uh, well, Dmitry Kulikov. Right now, we're relying on guys like Tucker Pullman, Anthony Potato, Lucas Abisa, or, or, you know, when any of those guys are actually healthy because they've missed some time. I think Potato's the only one who hasn't really been injured. But as you can tell, it's been kind of a rotating cast of third-pairing guys who probably qualify more as seventh defenseman than third-pairing dudes. So it's been a tough year, and Kulikov has had a really rough stretch with the Jets over the past couple of seasons. When he signed, that deal didn't look great because it was like, I think, three and a half million dollars for three years, and Kulikov at that stage was looking like, at best, a third-pairing defenseman, and not much more than that. The unfortunate thing is, not only has Kulikov been injured for the Jets, but he's also been straight-up bad. And it kind of happens when he gets under pressure. Kulikov seems to have issues making and adjusting to reads, or uh, really handling and passing the puck out of pressure, which often leads to goals against or him just not really recognizing where the danger is coming from, and the opponent has an easy walk-in. Lately, though, I think Kulikov simplifying his game, making good physical plays, sealing off space when he needs to, gapping uh, opposing forwards, and and shutting down passing lanes correctly, he's just been all-around better, and I think that's very good. Honestly speaking, and I never thought I would say this because Dmitry Kulikov is like the last guy I wanted to see coming back to this team in general, but... When his contract extensions come up, if, if he decides to come back for like $2 million for two or three seasons, I'd be very okay with that. I'd prefer two years just because three is kind of pushing it, and we don't really know if he's going to be able to stay healthy in the future, but 
I think based on his current trajectory and performance, that would be a very fine, safe purchase, especially with the Jets' defensive unit looking as thin as it is. Honestly, the Jets just need healthy bodies and guys who can play at an NHL level, period. And Kulikov has been doing just that for the past several weeks. There are certain things that he definitely can't do, uh, and I mean, handling a lot of pressure from opposing forwards is one of them. But beyond that, I think that he's been very capable, serviceable, uh, and actually a decent second-pairing guy. I, I never thought I would say that, but Kulikov has been more than fine by me. I really don't have any complaints. Even when he kind of makes a dumb mistake or a bad turnover or something, I think that the overall sample and body of his work is good enough that if he had another, say, more defensively tuned pairing, uh, somebody who could help him out a little bit, I think that you would see less of his mistakes going in the back of the net. Overall, though, I think he deserved that goal, and it's kind of a due reward for his relatively strong performance over the past couple of couple of weeks or even months, maybe even months, we could say. Speaking of top performers, I think we have to give a shout-out to Connor Hellebuck, who had an absolutely sterling shutout. It was an, an empty-calorie kind of game. Hellebuck absolutely 100% stone-cold robbed Caps. For as many great chances as the Jets certainly had, Washington also had some, frankly, jaw-dropping robberies um, where Hellebuck somehow managed to get his toe out, made a beautiful glove save, or just seemed to battle and find the puck amidst a bunch of bodies to make a string of of really high-danger saves. Look, I don't know what else to say about Hellebuck's season other than that he's my Hart Trophy vote, he's my Vesna Trophy vote, he's obviously Winnipeg's far-and-away MVP, He's having a monster season, and I think the number of of, of goals that he's saved relative to expectation has been absolutely nuts. Let's be honest, the Jets frankly don't have much of a shot at the playoffs if Hellebuck is even close to average. What Connor has done for this team is basically kept them in it long enough for Winnipeg to even have a shot at the wild card. Even when they were in their slump, even when they were struggling, Hellebuck has still been good enough for the rest of the stretches of the season to keep the Jets within the shouting distance of the final wildcard spot. Even if the Jets don't make the playoffs, I think Hellebuck still deserves every nomination that you can give him because he's been tremendous, and certainly he silenced any of the doubts I had about him over the past couple of seasons. I don't know if he can do this again next season because, let's be honest, goalies truly are voodoo, but all in all, he's had an MVP season and he deserves to be voted in as one. The rest of the game was pretty uneventful for the Jets. Uh, they did collect a couple of goals, one from a really nice feed from Mark Shifley behind the net to Kyle Connor, and another empty net one. This one, actually, a Mark Shifley empty netter, thanks to Kyle Connor and I think Jack Roslovic maybe. Roslovic, from the footage I could see, actually had quite a bit of jump to his game, and I feel like he was really buzzing around the net and had a couple of great opportunities. When he's on his game, Roslovic is so dangerous and, and elusive, but it's kind of hard to find a line that essentially isn't the 2015 line where he's really going all the time. The next game to talk about is Winnipeg versus the Edmonton Oilers, this one on the road. And unfortunately, Winnipeg lost this game. But I think mostly anyone who watched this game agreed that the Jets basically got robbed by, of all people, I think Mike Smith. On a list of weird things where we definitely live in a simulation, Mike Smith making as many stops as he did, especially on some really glorious chances from the Jets, is kind of nuts. The unfortunate thing is that Winnipeg actually did have a, a 2 nothing lead at one point, but then Leon Dreisaitl and, and Edmonton's power play kind of happened, and it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, you would hope that two goals would be enough, but 
Edmonton has enough power play movement and amazing scores and stuff to really overcome any sort of deficit. As we speak, Edmonton had a 2-0 lead and then ended up losing that lead to the Nashville Predators. And last I checked, like 25 minutes ago, that game was tied 3-3. And I was like, oh, well, this kind of sucks because Nashville had clawed its way back into the game. And then I checked the score again, and Edmonton somehow had a five-goal third period, which is uh, kind of a thing. Leon Dreisaitl straight up has four goals and an assist, which puts him in Jumbo Joe t- uh, territory, which I'm, if you've never heard about that, that uh, quote from him, I'm not gonna not gonna repeat it for obvious reasons. Um, this is a clean-rated uh, podcast, but you can go look it up. It's funny, but man, I mean, the Oilers. Are, okay, so the Oilers are kind of a weird team because I don't think that they actually have all that much roster depth. But Drysaitel and McDavid can get you a lot of buying power. Now, whether the goaltending can actually hold up is kind of a different question. But at least on the power play and at even strength scoring, there's no question that McDavid and Drysaitel are two of the most dangerous forwards in the NHL. I think Dreisaitl is legitimately on pace for something like 130 points, which I thought it was going to be nuts when Kucherov hit 120, and apparently, you know, McDreisaitl, we're just going to call him McDreisaitl now, uh, he's on pace for a little over 130. Scoring has gone up, so maybe it probably scales to the same, you know, I guess scoring inflation rate as what Kucherov did about a season or two ago, but still, that's kind of nuts, man. It really is a shame that the Jets weren't able to beat the Oilers, but I think the bigger concern is that over the past couple of games, Winnipeg has had a couple of major injuries, and I think the biggest one that is of of note to me is Patrick Laine. Now, Laine has traveled with the team, uh, and I believe he's back with the squad in Winnipeg, but I am kind of concerned because he was not at practice this morning, and much like Patrick Laine probably is, I am deeply hurting inside. Laine missing any amount of time is going to be real bad for this team because he's been arguably one of our best all-around offensive forwards this season. Okay, look, he still can be a little bit of a defensive drag, but I feel like that's 90% playing with Kyle Connor, which is not really a great mixture. Line's shot, and actually more so this season, his passing, are both really elite talents of his. And he's actually gotten better at just knowing where his spatial awareness is, um, knowing his positioning on the ice, making better reads... Actually, he he pretty aggressively back-checks on defense, which is kind of funny because a lot of other guys who you would think would do that don't. So yeah, line 8 being gone hurts just about every part of the team, and I am uh, not super thrilled. On the more positive side, it looks like the pregame skates before the Buffalo Sabres matchup has Dylan DeMello finally in his rightful place on the first pairing. Look, man, I don't know why it took like four freaking games for this to happen, but hey, cool, it's finally happening. I don't know if, like, Maurice has some kind of a burner account on Twitter somewhere and finally decided, hey, maybe I'll humor the trolls, but hey, uh, at least he can he can do that right, and he also put Bolu on the fourth pairing with uh, Tucker Pullman. Sorry, third pairing, not fourth pairing. Honestly, sometimes those two play like fourth pairing guys, but they're going to be fine, I think, on the third pairing. Or uh, at least I hope so. It's entirely possible that those two are kind of a tire fire together, but we'll see. Um, Bolu, unfortunately, is barely a third pairing guy at this rate. I don't know what happened to him, but ever since his injury, he's somehow gotten even worse, and it's not like he was that great before, so suboptimal. I'd also not be super thrilled if Cody Eakin is still on the second line. I know people don't really like Andrew Kopp on that 2C spot, but I feel like you basically don't have any other options as far as who to keep there. Eakin, to my eye, is just kind of slow, and he's not really... I wouldn't say that he's been atrocious, but he's not been very good at all. He's not like Winnipeg's worst forward or anything, but he's just not really contributing much of anything at even strength. 
I think he's had one point with the Jets so far, and that one assist was kind of like a, a sort of a gimme after Holtby dropped the puck and didn't really see the shot. Essentially, the rebound just sitting in front of his pad. Other than that, Eakin just kind of tends to look behind the play, and, and maybe I'm being a little too harsh on him, but again, I just don't see why he's been put in that 2C role, because it's clear that whatever he did with the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, which even then his underlying numbers were pretty rough, uh, even during the season where he had like 40-plus points, um, I, I think it's clear to see why he's not really been figured into their long-term plans. I don't know if the optimal situation is to put Wheeler back as your second-line center, because right now Wheeler and Shifley aren't doing a whole lot together. Uh, in some of these games, they've been invisible, which is not really great, and defensively, they've been kind of a tire fire. I'll put it this way, it's kind of hard to make Ehlers look consistently bad, uh, and yet Shifley and Wheeler tend to be the ones holding Nick back. Sometimes Nick has rough games, but for the most part, he's always our best forward, so... I don't really know. I don't know how you uh, rearrange these lines into something that's more functional because every time you you jangle something up, another line takes a really big hit and you just kind of have to accept it. I think for one thing, though, we need that that 2015 line of Harkins, uh, Roslevic, and Appleton back together again. Those guys all have complementary skill sets, and I think that keeping them together is more preferable than splitting them apart at this rate. Speaking of partnering up, If you've been a listener of this podcast, you may have heard about all of the great advertisers currently partnering with Locked On to reach sports fans all across the U.S. and abroad. What you may not know, however, is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local Jets fans on a routine basis. Our listeners are special. They're Locked On listeners, and they're hardcore fans who are as passionate about Winnipeg as you are. If you're looking to connect with Jets fans who are male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then drop us a line at Locked On Podcasts as soon as possible. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising for more information. Our team will work with you step-by-step to achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success possible. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. The week ahead is going to be a pretty tough road for Winnipeg. They have Buffalo tomorrow and then Vegas on Friday, which every time the Jets have played Vegas this season, I think the Jets have generally come out on top, even if they haven't actually played that well, although I think most of the good performances seem to be on the road. Then Winnipeg has, on Monday, the Arizona Coyotes, on Wednesday, the Edmonton Oilers, the following Saturday, the Calgary Flames, and then on that following Sunday, the Vancouver Canucks, who are the only team I think that the Jets can realistically catch unless Nashville starts to falter. Right now, Winnipeg is kind of in a dicey spot for a variety of reasons, and the primary one is that everyone else has at least two or so games in hand on the Jets. There are very few squads that have played as many games as Winnipeg has, which means that the standings right now are subject to change quite a bit. Nashville just losing in embarrassing fashion to the Oilers is good, insofar as Nashville now has two less potential points to to steal and and take an edge on Winnipeg. But the problem is, is Nashville still has two more games in hand and is tied with the Jets on points. Not great. Um, We're also getting chased by the Minnesota Wild, who are one point behind, but also have two games in hand. And then you have the Vancouver Canucks, who currently have wild card spot number one. And I think that they also have two games in hand. So really, this just kind of sucks. Uh, not beating the Oilers on Sunday was kind of a problem because, well, for obvious reasons, any standing points that the Jets don't collect on games that uh, 
that are essentially in hand for other teams is going to be a really bad situation come a couple of weeks later. I kind of got into a debate with somebody that when I said that I think the Jets making the playoffs this this season are going to be a bit of a long shot, and that was like two weeks ago. And I don't think that that's actually changed. I think that Winnipeg is kind of teetering on the edge here. And it's not necessarily that the, the road is going to be impossible or anything, but I mean, look at the schedule, guys. The Jets have to play a lot of teams that are in playoff spots and squats that, for the most part, they're kind of sort of competing with. Winnipeg, frankly, has no gimmies here. I mean, they have, you know, right after the Canucks, the Panthers, the Wild, the Stars, the Preds, the Avs, the Knights again, the Flames again, the Avs again, and the Coyotes again. So the Jets are going to be playing a bunch of teams that are either above them in the standings or right around the same spot, and none of these teams are easy. Arguably the easiest opponent here is the Panthers. And we've already lost to Buffalo in the past, you know, couple of weeks, so I don't know. I'm I'm having a really hard time figuring out where exactly the Jets are going to materialize enough points to make the postseason. I think the rough estimation is that they need about 10 wins out of their last 15 or so games, and I'm thinking to myself, that's going to be a lot to ask of the squad. The Jets could technically do it, but I think getting 92 to 94 points is really, really ambitious for a team that frankly isn't playing amazing hockey even still. And then, you know, Winnipeg's reward is going to be uh, facing a pretty tough opponent in the first round. I think that they would get, if they get wildcard too, I think they get, what, the first uh, Central Division opponent? As of right now, I'm pretty sure Winnipeg would have to play St. Louis, which um, doesn't really favor the Jets because the Blues right now have started taking off. And, well, it's the Blues. Even the Blues on a bad day still have enough scoring talent and play kind of an annoying style for the Jets to have to contend with. St. Louis is definitely not unbeatable, but I would not want to mess with them, especially in round one, when they're probably going to be a bit fresher and ready to go. I'd rather the Jets try and at least get a softer opponent first, but that's not going to be all that likely if they get into the wildcard two spot. You know, Winnipeg's only real hope at this point is somehow surpassing like a team, uh, I guess Vancouver, out of the Pacific to try and leapfrog, and the Pacific is very volatile right now, so I'm not 100% sure who's going to come out on the winning side. Winnipeg could probably catch Calgary if if Calgary ends up slipping into wildcard one, which uh, seems likely since they've played as many games as the Jets have and only have one more point than the Canucks. The Canucks are kind of bad when they're without Markstrom, but um, they actually do play pretty decent hockey. It's just that things are going to be rough if Jacob is injured for any stretch of time. That that definitely leaves the Jets in a very tight scenario where they have to be almost perfect going forward, and in their last 10 games are 4-5-1, and one. so I would at this point say that the Jets are going to really narrowly miss the playoffs. I don't like saying that, but I think that that's just reality. I don't think that there's a really good pathway unless the rest of the Central Division kind of collapses and Winnipeg somehow sneaks in. It's unfortunate that the path to a playoff spot is going to be this hard, but Winnipeg kind of made itself... Uh, have to take this road several weeks ago when they really won on that slide right before the All-Star break. So now the Jets have made their bed, they kind of have to live with it, and we just have to hope that they can find some way to claw back into the postseason picture and really make a push. I feel like this team has the ability to make noise. I don't know that they will, but if Hellebuck goes on a hot streak, there's no telling what could happen. And Hellebuck is a, a pretty safe bet right now. Obviously, goaltender performance is is extremely volatile, but if I have to put my chips on anyone, I'm going to put it on Hellebuck. He's given us a lot this season, 
And uh, sometimes you just have to put your faith in your number one guy. As always, folks, thanks again for listening. If you missed last week's uh, special two episodes on Thursday and Friday, be sure to check those out. I interviewed some folks from the Game One Hockey Jersey Collecting community, and they had some really interesting stories in longer form than some of our other shorter episodes. Give those a listen, let me know what you think in the comments, and uh, have a great night. Thanks again for listening, and go Jets go!